All right, so open your Bible, please, to the book of Joel. To the book of Joel, I've got a bag of candy for the first person who can find the book of Joel in the Bible. No fair if you cheated and looked ahead earlier. Rob, are you, were you honest and a good hard look? I turned Joel when you said it was the call to worship. Oh, what do you think? Does he get it? All right, you get it. All right. If you have a little bit of trouble finding it, and it is on page 760 in the Pew Bible, if you're using that, if you're having a little bit of trouble finding the book of Joel, don't be too hard on yourself because it isn't exactly one of the most familiar books of the Bible. We're going to be starting a new sermon series today on this book, and we'll probably have a half dozen, seven or eight or so messages on it. The book of Joel is one of the last 12 books of the Old Testament. And these 12 books are what are known as the minor prophets. Not minor because they're not important, but minor in the sense that they're not large books. They're short books compared to what are called the major prophets, books such as Isaiah and Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those types of books. We'll see as the Lord opens this book of Joel to us that Joel begins his book by saying that this is a word of the Lord that he received from God. Let's pray again that God would bless the reading of this word. Pray with me, please. Lord God, we do thank you that you are a God who has given us his word. We thank you and we praise you that you are the God who speaks to his people. You speak to us through the prophets. You speak to us through those who faithfully recorded the events of their day. Lord, we're reminded also that you tell us in Hebrews chapter one one, that you have spoken to us most definitively through your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the very word of God made flesh. Speak to us, Lord, again through your word and through your spirit, we pray. Amen. All right, so now let's look at this word of the Lord, which is recorded for us in the pages of Holy Scripture. We'll be looking at at verses 1 through 12 of Joel chapter 1 this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, give ear all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children to another generation. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet, sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land. Here, Joel's talking about these locusts. He, he refers to them as, as a nation or elsewhere an army. A nation has come up against my land, powerful and beyond number. Its teeth are lion's teeth. It has the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth. 
for the bridegroom of her youth. The grain offering and drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn, the ministers of the Lord. The fields are destroyed and the ground mourns because the grain is destroyed. The wine dries up, the oil languishes. Be ashamed, O tillers of the soil. Wail, O vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field has perished. The vine dries up, the fig tree languishes, pomegranate, palm, and apple. All the trees of the field are dried up, and gladness dries up from the children of men. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is God's word for you today. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. Well, whenever we start a new book study, typically we start that study with me encouraging us to consider the questions of who, what, when, where, and why. But that's more than just a little bit hard to do with this particular book of Joel, because there's not a lot that we know specifically about this author or even about the date or about the historical context in which he writes. The only thing that we know for sure about this author of this prophecy is his name and his father's name. And actually, so you know, the name Joel or Joel means Yahweh is God. But we really don't know anything else about this prophet. And we don't know when it is that he received this prophecy from the Lord. Typically, in most of the prophetic books, that book will record who was the king during that time of the prophecy. And that helps us then to date the prophecy, to date the book, and to even understand what's going on and what's, what might be kind of the, the, the sin in particular maybe that the people have given themselves over to. We really don't know that in Joel. There's no particular mention of any such king in this prophecy. The temple is mentioned, so this is sometime during the time frame in which the temple was in operation. So that puts it sometimes after the reign of Solomon. There's some thought that there are some allusions in this book that may refer to Assyria or Babylonians, but those two great nations aren't mentioned specifically in a list of the great armies that come up against Israel in chapter 3. All we can know for sure is that this prophecy was written by this man named Joel, sometime probably from perhaps the late 800s to 400s B.C., So that's as close as we can get, really. Now, the occasion of his writing is this devastating plague of locusts that he mentions in verse 3. And this swarm of locusts has absolutely devastated the land. And it's left the land as a wasteland. You might be tempted to say that this plague of locusts was biblical in proportions. Joel says in verse 3, what the cutting locust left, what the swarming locust has eaten, what the swarming locust left and the hopping locust has eaten, and what the hopping locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. Now this probably doesn't refer to four different species of locusts, 
but more likely these are four different stages of locus development, and that these different stages occur over the course of some 120 days. So it might be that this isn't a swarm that just passed through in a day or two, but this might be a swarm of locusts who've come into the land of Israel and they've rested there perhaps as long as three or four months, utterly destroying the land. It's said that these swarms of locusts, that in these swarms there can be as many as 120 million locusts per square miles. And there have been swarms of locusts recorded as, as large as 2,000 square miles. So in a swarm of locusts that size, there could be as many as 240 billion locusts. Again, can you imagine the devastation that that would cause a land and a people? And so it's in the aftermath of this kind of devastation that's been left after one of these swarms of locusts has descended upon Israel that the Lord brings this word to Joel and the people of Israel in his day. And friends, he also brings this word to you and I in our day as well. This book is both an an oracle of judgment, but also an oracle of salvation. An oracle of grace. Joel calls the people to repent, urging them to return to the Lord, noting that if they do, the Lord may relent. God's brought judgment upon the land. He's brought brought consequence of sin upon the people. But note God's kindness to these very people whom he's judged. He isn't silent, but he speaks to them. As this book progresses, he'll give them a divine explanation of why this judgment has come. And he'll let them know his sovereign purposes behind the events. And he'll call them to repent. And even this call to repentance is an act of God's divine goodness and kindness. As this prophecy continues through this book, through Joel, the Lord makes promises that he's going to pour out his spirit upon the people in the coming generations and that one day he will dwell with them personally. Joel's bringing this word from the Lord to the people to help them to live their lives well before the Lord in their time of difficulty. He's encouraging them to return to the Lord and to relate rightly to him. And so this word from the Lord from Joel can also be helpful to us in our day so that we might also yield to that call to return to the Lord and to relate rightly to him and to repent in any and every way that we may need to repent. The structure of this first portion of chapter 1 is centered around Joel's use of three imperative commands in verses 5 through 12. Look there, if you would, at those verses. Do you spot these commands that Joel presents? In verse 5, Joel says, awake. 
And then in verse 8, lament. And in verse 11, be ashamed. And as we consider these commands, let's us also receive them as commands from the Lord for us in our day. Joel says, first, awake. Verse 5, awake you drunkards and weep. And wail, you drinkers of wine, because of the sweet wine, because it is cut off from your mouth. You know, I was reminded this week as I thought of this first command to awake, I was reminded how when the Lord brought a a new spiritual vigor throughout the United States in the 18th and 19th centuries, do you remember what that was called? It was referred to as the Great Awakening. And then the second great awakening. In those days, God woke the people up from a spiritual slumber. And that's what the Lord, through the prophet Joel, is doing here as well. He calls the people of Israel in that day. And friends, He calls you and I as well to wake up. Joel's first word is for the drunkard. And here we might think of this as a wake-up call to those who are clearly doing wrong. This is a word to those who are gluttons for too much of something. In this case, they're drunkards. They have a desire for too much wine, for too much alcohol. But then look as he goes on and he also calls others to wake up. Not just the drunkard but any drinker of wine. And here maybe he's even referring to just someone who enjoys a good glass of wine with their meal. Maybe a a connoisseur. Those people who especially appreciate the finer things that life has to offer. This might be a word for those who seek out pleasure first and foremost in their lives. And God's challenge for us in this regard is this. Where do you find your greatest pleasure? In what do you count as your greatest treasure in your life? Is your greatest treasure, is your greatest pleasure, is it the Lord or is it something else? Perhaps even a good thing like fine wine or a good thing like your family. Do you place that in a higher priority than you do the Lord himself and your relationship with him more than others? The Lord says to us, wake up from your spiritual apathy towards him. Next in verse 8, Joel says, lament. Lament like a virgin wearing sackcloth for the bridegroom of her youth. This is an image of a young woman who's engaged to be married to a man, but that man dies before her wedding day. Can you imagine that woman's heartache and sorrow? Well, that's how Joel calls upon the people of Israel and us too to respond over certain aspects of our lives. The Lord calls upon us to lament to grieve deeply. 
And think of that young woman engaged to be married. Think of how she may have been looking for her future husband as the one who would be to her a, a source of joy and security. And so with this image of this devastated bride mourning over the death of her fiancé, maybe the Lord is calling anyone who everyone who has placed our hopes for joy and security and fulfillment in anyone or anything other than the Lord to lament as well. But notice that, that Joel doesn't stop in telling the bride, the bride uh, this virgin, to lament. But he says, even the priest and the ministers of the Lord, the whole nation, in fact, are to lament. Because Joel says in verse 9 that the grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord because the fields and the grain are destroyed and the wine is dried up. The degree of devastation and famine are so great, it's so complete that there isn't even a morsel of bread or a drop of wine available to make an offering to the Lord in his house, in the temple. It would be as if we were gathered here and there was no wine, there was no bread in these communion trays, just empty cups. That's the situation facing the people of Israel in Joel's day. Lament, Joel is saying, Israel. You who may even take a special sense of pride and security in your nation's privileged status as God's favored people. But even Israel isn't exempt from this plague that has come upon them, which we'll learn in the coming weeks is a judgment against her because of her sin. You know, we as people of faith we would do well to learn and to appreciate more fully the appropriateness of lamenting. Laments in Scripture and especially in the Psalms are an important part of Scripture and in the life of people of faith. Think even of Jesus lamenting over Jerusalem or lamenting in tears as He stood outside of Lazarus' grave. Sometimes laments in Scripture are like that, individual laments. And other times they're corporate or community-wide laments. Let's pray that the Lord would help us grow in our appreciation of reason to lament and that we would engage in such, such activity. So Joel is... Um, through the, the Lord through Joel has called upon his people to awake and then to lament. And then in verse 11, he calls upon them also to be ashamed. Be ashamed, Joel says, you tillers of the field and vine dressers, for the harvest of the field has perished. And we can think of this perhaps as a rebuke from the Lord for all of us who may take a special pride in what we produce through the work of our hands, through the sweat of our brow. Awake, lament, be ashamed, Joel says. And we should lament. We should lament such 
devastation and the reasons for God's judgment behind it. And one of the reasons that we should particularly, we ourselves, one of the reasons that we ourselves should even grieve and weep and lament over what we read in the book of Joel today is because, friends, this is part of our family history. Through faith in Jesus, the Apostle Paul tells us that we have been grafted into Abraham, that we've been grafted into God's ancient people. It's as if in our adoption, it isn't that we've just been adopted by God, but in a sense, we've also been adopted into the ancient Hebrew people. And so we've been adopted by Father Abraham. And so because of that, the stories of the people of Abraham are now our family history too. And so this this terrible, dreadful, sad experience that the people of God are experiencing here in the book of Joel, this is our family history. The events of the book of Joel are, are a part of the Galbraith family history. This has happened to the Allen family. This has happened to the Siders. This has happened to the Rust. These people are our people. And their land is our land. Our people suffered like this. So friends, weep over that. Lament over that. And grieve over the way in which our forefathers have given themselves over to sin that has led the Lord to judge them in this particular way. Just think of that devastation that came upon them. No food to be found anywhere. How did they survive? The sad reality is not all of them did. And many would have perished. Again, these people who suffered like this are our people. And so when Joel writes in verse 3 that the people of Joel's day are to tell their children of this and that they're to tell their children and those are to tell coming generations, it's right then for you and I to hear this, he says in verse 1. It's right for us to give ear to this. And it's especially right that we would weep over our ancestors of the faith, going through this terrible devastation which the locusts have brought upon their land, upon our land, because Israel is our land also. So let's now pray a prayer, a lament ourselves. This might be an extended prayer. Bear with me. Let's enter into a time of prayer and let's ask the Lord what it is that we should lament. What should we lament about our society these days? What should we lament about the state of our nation, the state of the church, even our own lives? Let's consider the path that so many people are on, the path which tempts us also of seeking after pleasures and treasures other than the Lord, of trusting in and hoping in things 
other than him. Let's pray. Lord, your word calls upon us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. Lord, we look around us and we see such devastation. We see so much ruin caused in many cases by poor decisions, by sin, caused by seeking to be in charge over our own lives rather than in submitting to you and your ways which are best for us. Lord, cause our hearts to break. Cause our hearts to break for our own plight. Cause our hearts to break with compassion for the plight of others as well. Lord, we may look around and we might be tempted to shake our heads in pity or shake our heads or our fists with a sense of self-righteousness or anger. But Lord, are we willing to help? In today's passage, there's a famine in the land because the fields are laid bare by these locusts and all is dried up. It's like that in our land as well even in this land of plenty that we live in. But Lord, will we, as individuals and as a church, will we help to stock up a local food pantry? Will we take some of the many cans in our pantry and give them to someone who may be in greater need than ourselves? Lord, a million babies a year or aborted in our country alone. And, and we tell the, a pregnant woman, don't abort your baby, but, but are we actually willing ourselves personally to do something, to do anything for even one pregnant woman to provide for her baby when facing an unwanted and unexpected pregnancy? Lord, move us, yes, to lamenting, but then also move us into action, motivated by love of neighbor and love of you, Lord. Lord, we lament how we so often can sin against you as well. Lord, we see so many people in our society um, living together out of wedlock. So many babies, almost half of all the babies born in this country, born out of wedlock, born to an unmarried woman. We see so many lives devastated by drugs, so many people being drunkards as are referenced here in this book. But Lord, when was the last time that any of us had any interaction at all with such a person? Lord, would we welcome such a person in our church today or next week? Would we see such a person walk in and would we say, I'm glad you're here. Here, come, sit by me. Or instead, would we maybe give them a sideways glance and maybe scoot away from them if they sat too near to us, so near that we might smell their body odor? Lord, cause us to weep, to grieve, to lament, to do that for the plight of others and ourselves as well. Lord, we weep for Lynette and Dave and their families 
over Lynette's cancer, and we ask that you would be pleased still yet, Lord, to heal her of this disease. We lament the breakdown of the family in our country. We lament even the breakdown of our own families. Many of us who may be struggling with strained relationships among family members, Lord, heal us, we pray. Lord, we pray that you would be pleased to heal Alyssa and Jackson. We pray that you would heal Betsy's dad, Tom, and Scott's Aunt Vernie and Andrea's friend, Norma. Lord, heal us all. Heal us and save us in any way, in every way that any of us need to be healed or saved, I pray. Do that, Lord, for those we know and love. Do that for our neighbors. Do that for those who, who we should know, but we haven't taken the time to come to know them because of the hardness of our own hearts. Lord, we also rejoice. We rejoice that Dan and Pat are with us after this year of being away. We rejoice that you've returned Bill and Lori to us and Bob and Ruth as well. Lord, thank you that you have kept Dan and Pat safe throughout this last year. And Lord, we pray that you would continue to deliver us from this plague that is in our land, in our day, coronavirus and COVID. Lord, as you did eventually for the land of Israel, we pray that you too would deliver us from this plague which is upon our land and indeed upon all of the world. Deliver us from this plague which has affected us and taken so many lives this past year. Lord, you are our only hope. You are our, our only hope for life in this world and the next. Lord, continue to deliver us from the sin that so easily captures our hearts more than you capture our hearts. Lord, keep us near. Keep us near to you. Keep us near to the cross. Keep us near also to the empty tomb. So that, we, you, so that we would remember that you are also the God who brings life and abundance where once it seemed like there was only death and scarcity. Lord, hear our prayer. And now continue to hear our prayer as we pray this prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now if you'll look in your worship bulletin, you'll find our call to confession for today. And in this call to worship, we have a kind of lament from Isaiah. When he entered into the presence of the Lord and he gained a new awareness of his sin and the sin of the people with whom he lived. Our call to worship from Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe to me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of an unclean people, a people of unclean lips. For my my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Now, friends, let's join our hearts in this prayer of lament, this confession of sin and our need for the Lord from Psalm 86. Please pray with me. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am godly. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you do I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. And now let's join our voices in this song of confession and hope for today. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night. Sure. Um, having lived around Newport all my life, most of it, and um, we heard all the stories. My family had a farm right there on the hill. So, in after the stock market crashed, we had the Great Depression. But since they lived on the farm, they were pretty self-sufficient until 1936 when they had a drought. And it rained on the 15th of May. It didn't rain again until the 15th of August. And the crops weren't drought resistant then. So you can imagine what happened. Because I can talk for a long time on this. What happened here? Please stand.
And the guy's doxology? If you doxology, do you have that ready? Okay. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above the Praise Father. Men be seated. The message of the Lord and the prophet Joel is for us to wake up, to wake up and to take note of what's happening and to lament what's happening. In verse 11, he tells us that, that we're to be ashamed over what's happening. But friends, we also remember that this is a Christian worship service. And we remember that Jesus Christ has taken away our shame. Our sin and our shame, which, which we rightly deserve, has been taken off of us. And it's been put upon Him at the cross. That's what we're told in Colossians 2, 13 and 14. In taking our sin upon, our, upon Himself, Christ has become a reproach for us. Paul says in Romans fifteen three. The chastisement that fell upon him has brought us peace, we're told in Isaiah 53, 5. And there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 8, 1. Joel begins his prophecy by saying, Hear this, you elders. Give ear, all inhabitants of the land. Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your father? Tell your children of it. And let your children tell their children. And their children tell another generation. Joel instructs us that we are to tell. We're to speak into our society. We're to speak into our families. And we're to tell them to wake up. Take Notice, look around. We're to share with them a proper assessment that's informed by God's word of what's happening around us. We're not just to wring our hands or shake our heads or to shake our fists in disgust or anger. But God, through this word of the Lord, through the prophet Joel, also calls upon us to speak. To tell others what's going on and why. We're to tell the story of the Bible. We're to proclaim God's truth. That God made all things good, but that mankind rebelled against Him. Our first parents and Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord. And if they wouldn't have, friends, you and I would have. Instead of listening to the voice of the Lord, whose voice always speaks forth truth and leads to abundance and blessing. Instead of listening to the voice of the Lord, what is it that Adam and Eve did instead? They listened to the voice of the serpent, the enemy of our souls. And when they did that, sin and death and devastation and sorrow entered into the world. And yes, entered in also into our lives as well. And they were then banished from the presence of the Lord, banished from the garden of abundance, banished from the garden of blessing, banished from the garden of Eden. 
But the story of the Bible is also the story of how God is redeeming all things to himself. He's bringing restoration. He's bringing new life, eternal life, abundant life where once there was only devastation and lack and death. The story of the Bible is a story of how God can bring resurrection after death. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead following his death upon the cross given as payment for our sins. In our passage, we're told that there was no bread for the grain offering. There was no wine for the drink offering in the house of the Lord. But the story of the Bible is that God the Father sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to live the sinless life that we could not or that we would not. And then that He would then give His life as a sacrifice for our sin. His life given for us as a once-for-all atonement for sin. The story of the Bible tells us that the Lord promises to give His people eternal life, a life of peace, a life of abundance, where every spiritual blessing is ours in and through Jesus Christ. And so as we're encouraged to do by Joel, as we're encouraged to do elsewhere in Scripture in places like Psalm 150, let us praise God in the sanctuary. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. And Psalm 107, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those whom He has redeemed from trouble. And so, friends, beloved of the Lord, first hear this. Hear the truth of God's Word. Recognize and receive the Lord's provision for the devastation that comes from the presence of sin and death in the world. Recognize your need also for your own release from this devastation which only Jesus Christ can give. Then tell the story. Tell the story of why it is that the world seems so broken. Because it is. And then tell how you have found new life in Jesus Christ. Where once there was only death. Where once there was only lack. Now there is abundance. Tell the story of the Bible as it's found in Ephesians chapter 2. That says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Tell them also how Christ on the night in which he was betrayed shared a meal with his friends. In which he was even willing to share a meal with that one who would betray him. Tell that story of how as they were eating he took bread and after blessing it he said take and eat. This is my body which is for you. And then he took a cup and when he had given thanks for it he gave it to them and they drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for you. Tell this story, friends. Tell this story. Tell this story. Pray with me again. Lord Jesus, 
we thank you that you are the offering that never runs out. We thank you that that there is no end to the grace which you provide through your offering of yourself as an atonement for sin. Lord, we thank you even that you bring judgment of sin. For in that, in the devastation that comes from us, oftentimes people will repent and turn to you for deliverance. May we do the same thing in our sin and in those ways in which our lives are are so devastated. Thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that you sent the Lord Jesus to save us. Thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to take on this rescue mission to provide all that we would ever need. Lord, we thank you for your provision even of this meal, this meal which shows forth your death, your offering up of yourself on the cross. Your word tells us that there's a special blessing that's available to us when we partake of this meal. Lord, make that special blessing available to us. Strengthen our faith through this meal as we share it. Take these common elements of bread and juice and set them apart, Lord, for your holy purposes, we pray. Lord, so we might rightly live and so that we might rightly speak of your greatness. We ask this in your most holy name. Amen.